Hey guys, thank you so much for tuning into this podcast. You've made the best decision you could possibly make by tuning your ear to the Word of God. I would love to invite you to stay updated with us on Facebook and YouTube. You can find us at Revival House Church. Father, bless this person and let the seed of the Word multiply 30, 60, and 100 times over in Jesus' name. Anyways, the word the Lord gave me today, it's been in my heart, my spirit. It's not some new thought that I've had, but it's a condition I want to talk about. But I want to talk to you about being faithful. Be faithful. As I told you, the Lord is peeling it back in my heart more and more. In my role in this hour, my role in this day, that I have a burden for the lost in the church. I mean, I can't even begin to tell you that there's days that I, I just, I get alone with the Lord and I cry. Like I feel God's burden for the lost, not just the lost that are in the streets. And, And I want you to hear me that God is raising up mighty evangelists. To go into the harvest field for the harvest is plentiful. The workers are few. God's raising people that have that heart to go and chase after, you know, and bring in the lost and the unsaved. And that's so vital. But my heart breaks for the lost, the third generation Christian, that their parents were Christians, their grandparents were Christians. They go to church twice a month and they're going straight to hell. For the churches that are lukewarm, the Christians that are backslidden. And I pray and I plead constantly, Lord, let, let, let a message come to those people. Let a message come to those churches. Let a message come to really what I believe is the condition of America in the body of Christ right now. You know, and it's so hard, and maybe it's just because of my calling, but because but me and my wife were talking about this, that I hear certain people preach, and their message is just always like, to everybody in the crowd, you know, the next five months are going to be the best five months that you've ever had in your entire life. And maybe that's true, but, uh, but me, I feel kind of like the oddball because I feel sometimes like I'm a voice screaming from the wilderness that's saying, guys, there's some major issues that have to be dealt with right now in the body of Christ. That the church is not ready for the return of Jesus Christ. It's not. And so, I want to kind of begin to address some of that with this message tonight. An issue that I see running rampant amongst believers, and I put that in quotes, because I, I think that there are those that don't, that have a counterfeit faith. The Bible talks about that, a counterfeit. It's an imitation. It's not, it's not, they don't worship the God of the Bible, the Jesus of the Bible, they worship the Jesus of their own imagination and they just call him Jesus, but it's not the true living God. And it breaks my heart that so many in the church today, they're so calloused. When you, when you talk to Christians, when you worship with other believers, guys standing in a room, not that that, you know, because the man judges on the outside, out, outward appearance, but the Lord judges the heart. 
But you can just tell there's so many people that claim that name, Jesus, but they don't know him at all. They've never encountered him. You can tell by the pattern of their life. If they did encounter him at one point, they're not frequently encountering him. You know, you can tell when someone's been with the Lord. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Any of the older saints in the room can vouch. You can tell when someone's been with the Lord. You can tell when you're looking at a man, when you're looking at a woman that has been with the Lord. You don't see that when you talk to the average day Christian. The, the just, I'm talking like, I'm not talking about in the pulpit. You don't see that in the pulpit. And that's why people think, John, you're being judgmental. No, I believe that what I say, I say from the Lord because the reason that we're having that in the church is because it's starting, it started in the pulpits first. I was listening to Leonard Ravenhill. And he was talking about the same issue years and years ago. I'd never heard this before, and I listened to it today, came across it. And he said, you know, Jesus cleared out the temple. He said if the Jesus came back today, he wouldn't be clearing out the temple. He'd be clearing out the pulpits. Because if you clear out the pulpits, the temple will change. The culture, the dynamic, the heart, the people will change. But when you when you when I when I'm coming across Christians, you know, you're talking to people that they talk about them, they know facts about them, they've read the Bible, they've been to a service here and there, but you can tell they don't know the one that they're talking about. That's a major problem. Jesus is real. He's alive. He's resurrected. I've seen him. I've I'm 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 telling you, you may think that that's crazy, but Seven years ago, I saw him, and when I did, it changed something in me because, you know, it's kind of unfair, but this became so real to me. It was like, this isn't just a book. This isn't just, well, you know, any thought that I had of, you know, what if I give my whole life doing this stuff, and then I was wrong, like, Jesus, you know, God's not real. Jesus isn't really the Lord. And, and Christianity wasn't the right way. All those thoughts went out the door when I saw him. And nobody could, could not convince me of what I saw. But he's real. He's resurrected. He's alive. That means that you can have a real relationship with him. Where you talk with him, he talks with you, you encounter him. Christians aren't in prayer. You know, the average day Christian, you can't, you can't, you can't seem to move anybody because their hearts are so hard. You talk about the lost, the, the average day Christian, they're not moved about the lost that are dying and going to hell. They're just, you know why? Because they spend zero time in prayer. That when you spend time day after day, week after week, getting into the Father's presence, surrendering yourself to him, he begins to break your heart. Your heart begins to form into his likeness. He'll begin to move your heart. And in the, in the average day church, the modern day Christian, I mean, you just like, you talk about these stuff that's going on, these things, and well, yep, you're right, you know, and that's the most that it is. They just don't care. So what I see right now, what I'm going to address tonight, is the issue I'm seeing running rampant amongst believers is that people are not being faithful to the Lord. Christians, believers are not being faithful to the Lord. Believers are not being faithful to the Lord. 
believers are not being faithful to their call and believers are not being faithful with what God has given them. That's what the Lord told me to preach on tonight. Amen. Come on, somebody. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Lord, I pray that this message that you have given me to speak and to preach, I thank you that you gave it to me so I know that you'll anoint it, that you'll use it. And that's what I ask, Lord, that tonight every hungry heart, we don't even have to ask, you promise. Anybody who's hungry, anybody who's thirsty, anybody whose heart yearns for you, that you'll fill them, you'll touch them. That if we draw near to you, you'll draw near to us. That if anybody came in here and is willing to break out of the religious mold and really, truly bear their heart and their soul before you, Lord, you'll encounter them tonight. And they'll encounter the resurrected one, the living one, who has ears that can hear and eyes that can see and a hand that can help. You're so good, Lord. You're wonderful, Thank you, Jesus. Amen. You really, you know, but that's really what I see right now today. If I could pinpoint a few major problems is that Christians are not faithful. They're not faithful to the Lord. And I'm going to talk about some of this stuff, but what do you mean Christians aren't faithful, John? They're not, they're not faithful to God. They don't serve him. They don't live for him. They don't love him. Christians today don't pray, they don't fast, they don't win souls, they don't give. Christians today aren't, aren't faithful. I mean, I'm talking like really faithful. Some of you are, a lot of you are. I'm talking general picture here to their local church, to the work of the Lord where they've been called. Many Christians aren't faithful to their own calling. You know, this is a true reality, and I told the youth this. If you wonder what kind of messages I'm preaching to the students, I preach them to them about their calling and their purpose, and, and I said, listen, I'm going to tell you something that you need to hear. When you go to youth camp, someone's going to stand up in a crowd of 4,000 people and begin to preach to all of you like you're all going to be the next prophet of the nation. And I'm going to tell you something. It's not true. Amen. It's not true. Not every one of you are going to be the next Billy Graham. Not every one of us are going to be the next Jeremiah, the next Isaiah, the John the Baptist. Not, not everybody is. And I actually begin to talk to them about how radical it truly is in what the Bible has to say about a man simply working, taking care of his family. And I said, some of you may be the prophet of the nation. That's great. Hallelujah. But some of you, you need to obey the other part of the scripture where you need to work. You need to take care of your family. You need to serve the Lord. You need to love them with all your heart. You need to have a godly wife. You need to raise godly children outside of this antichrist system. You need to win souls. You need to be faithful. You need to give yourself over to the work of the Lord and the place that he's called you to. And I, I begin to tell them, there's nothing, you know, that's not insignificant. The prophet to the nation is not greater than that member who does that, according to what Paul said. But, you know, that's what you have is that you really have a generation coming up where, y'all, I, I don't know if you've seen this, but I've seen it. Everybody's in the ministry nowadays. 
There's a million voices, and Jesus prophesied that it would happen in the last days. In the last days, you'll have false prophets, you'll have false teachers, you'll have doctrine of demons that rise up that's going to cause the great apostasy, cause many to depart from the true faith. What you're seeing right now, how is it that you turn on Facebook and you're going to see a thousand different live streams of this minister and that minister and this broadcast, and, and that's actually a sign of the end times. There's a thousand voices that are competing for your attention. Everybody's a minister. Everybody's chasing some type of platform, some type of microphone, some type of thing like that. And that's not the way that it works. As I told the kids, I said, you don't get to choose your calling. Jesus has to appoint you into your calling. And I told them this. I said, if Jesus appoints you as a prophet of the nation, you better be humble because it's him and it's not you. Paul said, all that I am, I am by the grace of God. I said, but if Jesus appoints you to get married, raise godly children, and serve the local work, then you better get content. Amen. So you don't see Christians being faithful to the Lord, being faithful to their call, and being faithful with what the Lord's given to them. I want to talk to you about faithfulness. So I have a few points for you tonight. And what I mean by points, I don't mean I sat down and thought of creative ways. This is the way my mind works. This is just me. If anything, it's for me structuring how I want to say what I want to say to you. Because I'm very, uh, if you've ever heard me preach, I get off on rabbit trails. My mind doesn't work like this thing, this thing. It's just all of it mixed together. So, for my sake, I have to kind of categorize. Okay, I need to, you know, Lord, you want me to do this and this and amen. So you need to understand this about being faithful. Number one, only those who are faithful are promised entry into the kingdom of God. Only those who are faithful are promised entry into the kingdom of God. Matthew 24, 9 through 13 You'll be arrested, you'll be persecuted, you'll be killed. You'll be hated all over the world because you're my followers, and many will turn away from me and betray and hate each other, and many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Sin will be rampant everywhere. The love of many will grow cold. Jesus is giving a sign of the end times. And I, I feel like I did a very healthy teaching a few weeks ago that, again, you know, you, you have... <laughs> You have all these voices just telling everybody, this is going to be the most prosperous year, the bestest year. You're going to be a millionaire this year. And I said, man, I, the Lord can do that with people. But one thing I know that doesn't change, and it's the scripture. Prof prophetic words will come and go, but there's one thing that remains forever. That's the scripture. It stands. And Jesus was very clear that in the last days, we would be arrested, persecuted, killed, hated all over the world for being his followers. And the Lord convicted me and said, right now in the body of Christ, we're not preparing people to stand in the last days. The American church is not preparing the American Christian for what's coming 10 years from now in America. 15 years from now in America. I know nobody wants to talk about that. You know, total government control, and, and I was going to tell you, share the broadcast.
because we've already got two strikes on YouTube for saying stuff like I'm saying. They don't like it. They go back, look at our teaching, and they give us strikes. If you get three strikes, they remove your YouTube channel. Oh, well. But total government control. An antichrist system. You know, I was telling our kids, we watched, who's ever seen those movie, the, the movies God's Not Dead? Have you guys seen those before? There's like multiple of them. I'd never seen one of the newest ones, but it baffled me because when you look into it, some of this stuff is actually happening. But in that movie, there was a, a group of people from a church that began to homeschool their children. And the state came in and was evaluating the curriculum and they had the Bible as a major part of the curriculum about Adam and Eve and, you know, different things like that. And, and, and the state was like, well, you're pushing that there's two genders. You're pushing these, you know, fundamental, duh, truths. And they basically said, we have found that your curriculum is not fit to help the, the children for standard curriculum. And so basically... We're either, A, we're going to fine you, uh, or you have one or two weeks to get your children enrolled back in public school, or we're just going to begin to fine you like $1,000 a day for every day your child's not in school. That kind of stuff's coming in America. In fact, that kind of stuff's happening in other states right now. Are we really preparing our children to stand? You know, most people that claim Christians, you know what they would do the second they were pushed just a little bit in that way? You either compromise and send your kid back to the slaughterhouse, and if you don't, we're going to find you. You know what they would do? Yes, sir, and their kid would be back in school the next week, the next day. And they're the same people that if they miss the rapture, that when the Antichrist starts requiring everybody to take the mark of the beast, they would be the second one in line so that they could get into Walmart. Y'all, and I know it seems cute and it seems light and it seems funny, but do you understand in the book of Revelation it says that for the person that takes the mark, there is no forgiveness for them? It ain't like I take the mark of the beast and then, I, okay, Lord, they were threatening me, so I took it, and then he says, okay, I forgive you. If you take that mark, it says that there is no eternal life for you. You are eternally damned. There's no salvation for you. Isn't that a harsh reality that we see right now, America being set up to fall right in the line with that stuff? Are we really preparing people to stand in these last days? You will be arrested. Is the average Christian prepared to be arrested in America? You'll be persecuted. You will be killed. You'll be hated all over the world because you're my followers. You know, we had one person in this church that lost their job for standing. When all of this, it, it, you guys, you know, and that's what they don't understand. The devil, he doesn't come showing every card that he has. It, he sets the stage. The Bible says the Antichrist is coming, but the spirit of the Antichrist is already here. What do you think that that was in 2020, 2021, 2022? Brother Tristan, he lost his job because he stood up and said, hey, I'm not wearing this mask. Why, why not? 
Is it really just about the mass? No, it's about this idea that you're trying to force me to do something that you don't do yourself, that doesn't make sense scientifically, that's been backtracked, and it's, been, it, it's all about control. And you have thousands of, of Christians and leaders that are just going right into that, and what is it doing? It's setting the stage for a one-world ruler to come in and require everyone Smaller, great, rich or poor, slave or free to be given a mark on their right hand and on their forehead. And without that mark, you cannot buy, sell or trade anything. Y'all, I believe the Bible says, listen, I believe Kenneth Hagin, he taught it this way. That there's two sides of the highway. And people fall into one of the other, you know, the ditch over here, they fall into the ditch over here. You can get too radical on one side, on the other side. I believe in the blessing of God. I believe that the Bible says that the way of the righteous will shine brighter and brighter until the full light of day. I believe that, that the church is going to become more glorious. I believe that. I believe that, you know, as basically... Let me rephrase that. I believe that the enemy, according to the scripture, has no power and authority to scuff the church out. Now, if the church is suppressed, it's because the church chose to be suppressed, not because the enemy had the power to really suppress it. Are you with me? So I believe in the blessing. I believe in all of that, but... That's all we're kind of telling people. Hey, promotion's coming your way. Hey, blessing's coming your way. Hey, another property, another house coming your way. Hey, all this stuff. I believe in the God of the Bible, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God who can bless us. I believe in El Shaddai. I believe in Jehovah Jireh. But I also am certain that the Bible says in the last days, there will be a system that's turned against God's people where we will be arrested, we will be persecuted, we will be killed, we will lose our jobs for standing for Christ. You'll be hated all over the world because you're my followers. Say hated. You know, the God honest truth is we're just trying to make, make our, well, you know, make friends and and. Are we really preparing our youth? The reality is that if you love and live for Jesus and you go to public high school in this day and age, you're not going to be loved by everyone. I mean, it's just a fact. Because the spirit that you have is in direct opposition to the spirit that's in this world. He said that they, they cannot receive you because you do not belong to this world. Are we preparing our kids to be hated? Many will turn away from me, betray and hate each other. Many false prophets will appear, deceive many people. Sin will be rampant everywhere. The love of many will grow cold, but the one who endures to the end. Say the one who endures. These things are going to happen, but the one who endures through being arrested, persecuted, killed, hated, sin running rampant, false teaching running rampant, the one who endures or the one who is faithful to the end will be saved. You know, this is a reoccurring thing all throughout the Bible. 
Only those who are faithful are promised entry into the kingdom of God. We need to be preaching to people that there can be zero compromise whatsoever. Do you guys, are you following me here? Why isn't there accountability for churches that shut down during the lockdowns? Well, you know, we shut down because the government told us that we needed to shut down. The one who endures through being arrested, what do you get arrested for? Obviously, you get arrested for doing something that is contrary to what you're being told to do. Only the one that endures through being arrested, persecuted, and killed, and hated all over the world will be saved. So what is there to say for the one that says we didn't endure? We compromised. You know what we're doing right now? Well, it's okay. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. And listen, God will forgive you. There is grace. There is mercy. But there has to be true repentance. You've got to see it. You've got to grieve it. You've got to get on your face and say, Lord, I need you. Man, I compromised. I need you to get that coward out of me. We're so focused on building big buildings that we're not preparing people for what's coming. And because we're not telling the people and warning the people and blowing the trumpet, you know what will happen? Many will depart from the true faith. Not you. I hope tonight that you hold these things in your mind. Look at Revelation 2.10. Don't be afraid of what you are about to suffer. This is something Jesus said to one of the churches here. The devil will throw you into prison to test you. You will suffer for 10 days. Suffer. Say suffer. Y'all, I want to start using some of these words because I, I don't know about you, but there's been times that these words make me very uncomfortable. There's been times in my flesh that I've thought about these things and said, Lord, am I really ready to suffer for you? Am I really ready to die for you if I had to die? And there's been times that it's like you even be reading the Bible and you come across words like that and in your mind you just want to skip over it and pretend like it's not there, but it is there. And then something rises up that says, no, John, you know, John doesn't want to suffer. John doesn't want to die. Then you're forced to come to him, surrender yourself, lay down, humble yourself and say, Lord, what is in me? That's not willing to lay this down. Help me. If you remain faithful, even when facing death, listen to this. If you remain faithful, say if. If is contingent. If you remain faithful, even when facing death, I'll give you the crown of life. What if you don't remain faithful when facing death? There's no crown promised. Are you with me, guys? Do you see why that point is only those who are faithful are promised entry into the kingdom of God? Write this down tonight. You can't just receive Jesus. You must continue to follow him. Man, oh man, this, this right here is about 99% of people's problems. 
You know how many people we have led to the altar, prayed the prayer, baptized, poured out, poured out, poured out, and they, they start serving the Lord, and then in a week, two weeks, three weeks, they don't follow the Lord. They don't serve the Lord anymore because of this right here. Colossians 2, 6 through 7, now just as you accept Christ as your Lord, stop right there. That's important. Amen. Say amen. amen. You have to accept Christ as your Lord. You have, there has to be a moment where you believe in your heart, you make confession with your mouth, Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior. It's no longer I who live, it's Christ that lives in me. I'm dying, I'm going to live for him. There has to be a moment where you accept Christ as your Lord, you believe, you repent, you receive. But it says, just as you accepted Christ as your Lord, you must continue to follow him. That's where people go wrong. They have an encounter with the Lord, and they don't continue to follow Jesus after that encounter. They're not faithful. Some of you may hear this message tonight and then go home and just don't care. I don't care what that guy was up there saying. I'm going to do my thing. I pray that God humbles you. Some of you may be coming back, oh, Brother John, I lost my job. And Well, maybe you needed to lose your job if that's what it was going to take to get humbled by the Lord. That's a scary thing. Brother John, things aren't going right for me now. I pray whatever needs to be broken in order for you to be broken is broken in Jesus' name. You ever think about praying prayers like that over yourself? Lord, whatever I don't care what it costs me. Whatever needs to go, get it out of me. Get it out. And I don't care what I have to give in order for you to get it out. But it says you must accept Christ as your Lord. You must continue to follow him. Let your roots grow down deep into him and let your lives be built on him. Let your roots grow down deep into him. Day after day, week after week, month after month. After month. How do you continue to follow the Lord? Well, I want you to say continue. There's many things. It can't just be one thing. It says that if, you're, if you let your roots grow down deep in him, let your lives be built on him, then your faith will grow strong in the truth that you were taught. And you will overflow with thankfulness. I want you to say decision. And this will make sense here in just a couple points. But following Jesus, it's got to be a decision that you make. I'm telling you guys, we, we can take all of the ethereal, over-spiritualized stuff out of it. Everything with God is a decision. You know that it's a decision to worship the Lord? You know you don't have to wait till you feel like it. To come in here and lift your hands and praise God. It's a decision to worship the Lord. You know, it's a decision to humble yourself before God. It's a decision to get down on your knees. Why am I getting down on my knees? Because the Bible says that I must decrease and he must increase. I, I'm making the decision to humble myself before the Lord. It's a decision to read your word. It's a decision to pray. It's a decision to make coming to church a priority. And what happens is you continue to follow him. It says your roots will grow down deep in him. 
And your faith will be strong and you will overflow with thankfulness. Hallelujah. John chapter 15. You know, actually, I'm going to move on to the next point. Maybe not. Maybe I'll read that to you. This is really the key. John chapter 15, Jesus said, I'm the true grapevine. My father's the gardener. He's the vine. He cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit. He cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit. He cuts off every branch that doesn't produce fruit. One of the plethora of verses that teach you the whole once saved, always saved idea, it's not true. You know, some of these verses, I'm praying, some of these get in you that it puts a fear in you. That as a day goes by, a month, I'm sorry, a day, a week, a month, that you couldn't just live a lukewarm life. I got my job, I got my paycheck, I got my little routine, I got my Netflix show that I like watching, I got my little you know, dinner that I pop in the microwave, that you begin to really ponder this and start asking questions as you're seeking the Lord. Am I producing the fruit that God desires in my life? Does this, does that like put the fear of the Lord in you? It does in me. That it, I, I begin to realize that I can't just go rogue. I can't just get up here and preach to you and then go home and act like a completely different person and fill myself with sin and fill myself up with junk because I live with this reality. If I stop producing the fruit of Christ, I get cut off from the vine. You know what that does? It keeps driving you back. Again and again and again. Man, why do I got to get up and get into my word and seek him? Why do I got to make time to go out and fellowship with the Lord and pray and seek his face? Because I must stay connected to that vine. If you in here and don't care, like, well, I don't care if I'm connected to the vine or not. I pray you get saved because right now, if you ask me, you wouldn't make it to heaven if that's not a concern of yours. He says, and every branch that remains in me, I prune so that it produces even more. You have already been pruned and purified by the message I've given you. He says, remain in me. Remain in me. I want you to say this. Say, it's my responsibility to remain in him. People wonder what happened. What happened in my life? Why did things stop going right? Lord, how come you're not helping me? Does it say that it's his responsibility to remain in you? No, he said you remain in me and I will remain in you. Lord, what's not going right? What do you mean? You stop serving him. You stop seeking and finding. You stop desiring a month ago. And you stepped out of that vine. And now you're wondering why that life, the life of God, isn't coming through you, isn't coming to you, and isn't coming through you anymore. Because you stop remaining in him day after day. There should be a holy conviction. That we've gone and done, been about our whole day and we can go home and say, I haven't spent five minutes in this word, but I feel good enough to jump on Netflix 
There should be a conviction of the Lord on the inside of you. Where you say, that's not okay. There's got to be something in you that's driving your butt to the feet of Jesus. Here's the problem. Most Christians don't have this. The average church attending person has nothing in them that's driving them to Jesus day after day. They don't care. They don't care. (laughs) And the church is getting gathered to pray and I'm never there. Well, I don't care. You know, I haven't spent one day this month going out with the Lord, just me and him, and praying, and talking to him, and opening up, tuning my, my ear to the, to the ear of the Spirit to listen to the Lord. I haven't done that one time, and I don't care. That's a problem. Y'all with me? My gosh. Ministries aren't even doing this. They're not seeking the Lord about what to do. They would have never have cut off the relationship with the fivefold ministry if they were seeking the Lord about what to do. If instead of getting a creative team together to, well, let's plan out the next 12 months of our sermons and we'll do this theme with this stage prop and these worship songs and, and we'll do it this way. If they begin to seek the Lord and say, Jesus, what are you wanting done in Angelina? What are you wanting done in Texas? What are you trying to do right now in the United States of America? He would begin to actually, guess what? Speak back and tell us what to do. So he says, remain in me. Yes, I'm the vine, you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Listen to that. Apart from him, how much can you do? How much can you do? How much can I do? How much can this church do? Zero, nothing. That's why this reality, I must remain in Christ. I must not step out of the vine. Anyone who does not remain in me is thrown away like a useless branch that withers. There it is again. If you do not live a life where you abide in Christ day in and day out, there is no eternal security for you. Listen to me clearly. But he says, but if you remain in me and my words, say my words. And we'll talk about this in a moment, but what does it mean for his words to remain in you? What does that mean? Does that just mean like, oh, I read the Bible and I've memorized some verses? No, that's not what that's talking about. Another uh, verse that we're going to read in a moment, it talks about how your life being wholly conformed to him. You know what it means for his words to remain in you? That means that you've read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. You read what Jesus said. You read where he said that you can't lust after a woman. If you do, you're an adulterer. You've read where he said you cannot hate, you can't have unforgiveness, or you're a murderer at heart. You've read where he said the Beatitudes, where he told us different things, when you give, when you pray, when you fast. You read where he said to humble himself. You've read these things and you've begun to take your life and conform it to his words. I cannot be a hateful, spiteful person anymore. Why? 
Because his words are in me. Amen. Well, I can't tell if some of y'all are getting this or some of y'all are like, I'm extremely tired and I'm about to fall asleep. I don't know which one it is. Hopefully it's not the second one because that's not what I spent all this time seeking the Lord for a bunch of people to. I've loved you even as the, so say his words. I've loved you even as the Father has loved me. Remain in my love. Listen to this. How do you remain in his love? When you obey my commands, you remain in my love. Just as I obey the Father's commandments and remain in his love. Again, it's very simple, guys. When you receive the Holy Spirit on the inside of you, there's something that begins to convict you where you're not okay with living outside of what Jesus said. You may find yourself at a point where you've stepped outside of the the vine, but there's a conviction. There's a force that draws you back saying, this is not okay. Stop right now and go back. But most Christians, they don't. They're like, if they looked at this word, That's most of their response. Well, I know Jesus said that, but I'm not Jesus. And they're content living outside of his word. If they're content living outside of the word, they're not connected to the vine. So you can't just receive Jesus. You must continue to follow him. Say remain. You got to remain in him. Write this down tonight. Many people will follow the pattern illustrated in the parable of the sower. I'll I'll break this down for you. So this is in Matthew 13, 18 through 23. Now listen to the explanation of the parable about the farmer planting seeds. Jesus talked about a farmer. He said the kingdom is like a farmer who went out and began to sow seed. Some of the seed fell on the hard path. Some seed fell amongst the rocks and the shallow soil. Some seed fell amongst the thorns. Some seed fell in fertile soil and produced 30, 60, and 100 fold. So he begins to explain what he meant by that. He said the seed that fell on the footpath represents those who hear the message about the kingdom and don't understand it. I want you to say this. Say, don't want it. Then the evil one comes and snatches away the seed that was planted in their hearts. First classification of people is, number one, the person that just is not interested. There will be people that when the word of God is preached, when Jesus is presented, they just say, I'm not interested. Don't want it. Don't care. You know, the Bible says this. Oh, I don't really don't care what the Bible says. That's a person. They, they have a hard heart, a mind that's closed off to the Lord. And I'll go ahead and tell you this as well. You can't make somebody want it. Jesus went around preaching the truth, and he didn't apologize for it because the truth is the truth. If you didn't like the truth and you didn't want the truth, he said, I am the truth. He never went chasing after anybody, begging them to follow him. Oh, please come follow me. Oh, please come to my meeting. Oh, please come because I need you to come in order for me to have some type of self-worth. No, if you didn't want it, he didn't chase you down because there's nothing that he could do to make you want it. Are you with me? 
You can't make somebody who's uninterested interested in the things of God. There's got to be a brokenness inside of every man and every woman. All we can do is scatter the seed, tell the truth, preach the word, and there will be those that are uninterested. Now, number two, it says, I'm explaining to you why, what you actually see. Talking about being faithful. This is different people. Number two, now we're going to get into Christians, people that receive the word. This is what's happening in in many Christians' lives today. It says this, verse 20 through 21, the seed that fell on the rocky soil represents those who hear the message and immediately receive it with joy. Say they received it. So obviously these aren't the atheists. These aren't the other, these aren't the people that says, no, that's stupid. I want nothing to do with it. These are people that receive the word. That means these were people that responded to the altar call. They prayed the prayer. Amen. They gave their life to Jesus. They received the word. But it says, since they didn't have deep roots, they didn't last long. And they fall away as soon as they have problems. Or they are persecuted for believing God's word. So this is talking about Christians They're Christians, yet they're shallow, and they fall away due to persecution. And I know I've spent some time talking about it, but I want to just read you a few verses. If you haven't written it down, write this down. In the last days, problems and persecutions are promised and guaranteed. In the last days, problems and persecutions are promised and guaranteed. You say the word problems. Well, I thought as Christians, we're not supposed to have problems. Other translations use the word tribulations. Tribulations and persecution is guaranteed. Look what Paul said here in Acts chapter 14, 21 through 22. Again, this is where my heartbeat goes. You know, again, I know, like, y'all, I've wanted to get away from just Pentecostalism, charismania, you know. Look, I think it's great when the Holy Ghost comes on someone and they got to take off, man, they got to run around the room. Hallelujah, that's great. We've seen that happen. But I don't want to just manipulate a situation where you see that. People are so skilled. They're so crafted. They know how to get the crowd going. They know how to get them to shout. They know how to get them on their feet. They know how to have this spectacular experience. And it, it, it's like the charismatic experience, the Pentecostal experience, where I want to just strip that away and say, Lord, let these people be touched by your power and by your word. Paul said that when I came to you, I came to you simply. He didn't come with extravagant speech and illustrations. and all. He came very simply, he said, so that your faith would be in the power of God and not in a man. That's what I'm believing for. A real touch, a real, you know, because that's the thing is that if somebody can sit in an environment like this where it's 7.30, you've been at work, and you can grab a hold of it, I know that you actually got a hold of it. It wasn't just you came and you were nodding off and now I said, everybody jump to your feet and begin to praise the Lord and everybody jumped up and you stood up and 
oh, oh man, that was exciting. And you went home and what a great service. No, I, I want you to get a hold of it. I want you to get it in your heart. So listen, Paul, he understood the same thing. After preaching the good news in Derby and making many disciples, Paul and Barnabas returned to Lystra, Iconium, Antioch, and Poseidon. So you got Derby, Lystra, Iconium, Antioch, Poseidon. There's five different cities where they strengthened the believers. And what was Paul's message? They encouraged them to continue in the faith, reminding them that we must suffer many hardships to enter into the kingdom of God. He went through five different cities. His message wasn't telling everybody, guys, guess what? It's going to be the best year you ever had in your life. He began to tell them, no, as we get closer to this thing, governments will turn against you. People will turn against you. You're going to go through hardships. Your family will abandon you. Your friends will turn their back on you. Things like that are expected to happen, but you need to understand that you must suffer many hardships in order to enter into the kingdom of God. Why would he say something like that? Because only those who endure to the end will be saved. Look what Paul told Timothy, 2 Timothy 3, 12 through 13. Yes, everyone wants to live a godly life in Christ. I'm sorry, yes, and everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ. Jesus, sorry, one more time. (laughs) Yes, and everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus, listen to this, will suffer persecution. Did he say might suffer? Will suffer. That word persecution, I looked at the Greek word, and it actually means to pursue after you. It means to inflict you. It means to molest you. It means to pursue after you. So basically what Paul is saying, you know, we don't fight against flesh and blood, spiritual rulers, principalities, powers, the, the battle that we're fighting isn't flesh and blood. It's, it's a spiritual battle. So basically, what is Paul saying? When you give your life to Jesus, there will be a spirit that chases after you the, all the days of your life, seeking whom he may devour, looking for an open door, trying to inflict you, trying to discourage you, trying to tempt you, trying to destroy you, that will come to kill, to steal, to destroy. But you must endure And resist that temptation, resist that spirit. Hallelujah. Because anybody who wants to enter the kingdom of God must suffer hardships. So he says, anyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. And again, if you're saying, well, Brother John, I feel like I've lived my life and and I've never had anybody come against me. Well, you're probably not standing for anything then. I have nowhere near came, I'm sure, close to the Apostle Paul. I mean, we, we couldn't even be in the same room. What a man of God. But I'm telling you, the more that, that, that I begin to stand for this word, it's come to a point where I feel like I can walk into a random room and be like, hi, my name's John Wallace. And 50 people be like, I hate you. I'm like, for what? I loathe you. Because it's a spirit. 
But evil people and imposters will flourish. What? Who will? Evil people will flourish. Imposters will flourish. That means that when you see somebody who never has that opposition to that spirit, you need to begin to ask questions. Come on, somebody. If you begin to see a church that it's just, boom, I mean, all this great stuff and, you know, best best friends in the community, everybody loves it. I mean, you have to begin to, it says evil people and imposters will flourish. They won't have to endure that persecution. Why? Because they have the same spirit. They will deceive others and then themselves will be deceived. Okay, so the Bible says that there will be many people Now, understand this, that receive the word of God with joy. Say with joy. They were happy. They meant it. They encountered the Lord. I see it happen right now. I see it happen all the time. And then next thing you know, they don't continue. They don't get rooted in the Lord. They don't live a life, I mean truly, abiding in the vine. And then now all of a sudden, that persecution comes. That hardship comes. That test of faith comes. And what happens? It says that... The seed is destroyed because they had no root. So again, the Bible promises that in the last days, you will be, say will be, arrested, hated, persecuted, killed, rejected, left out, and you will suffer. Christians will, be, will suffer economical and political resistance. Never to be defeated. Amen. Never to be defeated by those things. But we'll be pressured with those things. And then one thing's very clear from the scripture here. Remember it says, since the seed didn't have deep roots, they don't last long. They fall away as soon as they have problems or are persecuted for believing God's word. If you do not have deep roots, you will not stand against these tribulations. Amen. So basically, here's kind of my point in this, y'all. We're in a very critical hour. The return of Christ is very near. This is not the hour to waste time. This isn't the hour to be concerned with other things. This is the hour, the church, we must get rooted in Christ. Because if we're not, we won't stand against the tribulations that are coming. Okay, verse 22. Y'all still with me here? Matthew chapter 13. So you got the, the person that's not interested. You got the Christian that, that was shallow and they fall away due to persecution. Now, here's the other thing, and I'll tie these two things together. Now you have the Christian that's not willing to die to their own interests. So look at verse 22 here. It said, the seed that fell amongst the thorns represent those who hear God's word, but all too quickly the message is crowded out by the worries of this life in the lure of wealth so that no fruit is produced. So basically Jesus was saying there's going to be people that come into the church they, they're, they're genuine, they start serving the Lord, but the lure of wealth is going to drive them away. The deceitfulness of riches. 
Say the deceitfulness of riches. A Christian that pursues after money more than they pursue after God. I want you to see this in Matthew chapter 16, 24 through 26. In the Amplified Classic, look look at this verse here. It says, Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone desires to be my disciple, let him deny himself. This is the problem. Why is it that these people received the word, but then a second that they started getting persecution, they fell off? Why is it that these people received the word, but then they were led astray by the love of money, the lure of wealth? Because they didn't do this, what I'm about to tell you right here. He said, if anyone, say anyone, desires to be my disciple, let him deny himself. I love the Amplified because it's, what is that word? What does it mean to deny yourself? Let him disregard, lose sight of, forget himself and his own interests. So put that together. If anyone wants to be my disciple, let him disregard his own interests. Let him lose sight of his own interests. Let him forget about himself and his own interests. Say your own interests. People are not counting the cost to follow Jesus. There's a cost, there's a price. I'm just trying to think of how to articulate this to you. He says, let him take up his cross and follow me. Cleave to me, steadfast. Conform wholly to my example in living and if in need be, dying. Conforming completely to the example of Jesus in living and if in need be, dying. This is talking about a person that comes to the Lord and says, Lord, I'm, I die to my own interests. That is the problem with, with Christians. Why can't you get Christians to show up to church? Because they haven't died to their own interests. Why can't you get the church to do anything? I'm not just saying this church. I'm talking general, big picture, the church. Because people haven't come to that fundamental thing. In order for me to follow Jesus, I have to disregard my own interest. It's not just about making the money and, and having the nicest house and car and, 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 and making sure that my children are comfortable and, you know, I don't want them to feel outcasted. And if we really start serving the Lord, you'll have a bunch of their friends that will think that they're weird. And, you know, you have to die to your own interests uh, completely, 100%. And you have to submit to the call of God. I see it happening in the church world. Where you got these young people, they won't stick with the church for more than a couple of years and then they're just sending out their resumes, right? Like it's a a business ladder or something. They'll work over here for a little bit and then they'll get some resume and then they'll, they'll go over here and they'll work at this ministry, they'll work at this thing, they'll work at that thing and it's like they're just climbing this ladder of success. Denying your own interests is saying, Lord, I'm going to be where you've called me to be no matter what it costs me. 
Oh, Lord, you know, we want to preach to stadiums with thousands of people. But if he calls you to disciple 25 people, you have to die to your own interest. Humble yourself before the Lord and say, Lord, it's not about my will, my interests, my desires. I'm going to be willing and obedient. Whoever is bent on saving his temporal life, that is his comfort and his security, whoever is bent on saving their comfort and their security shall lose their eternal life. That's pretty bold right there in the Amplified. If you are hell-bent on being comfortable, it says that you'll never enter into eternal life. There will be things that God asks you to do There'll be things that God asks you to give. There will be interests and desires that God asks you to lay down that if you haven't died to this thing, you won't lay them down. You will be so bent on trying to keep yourself comfortable and your interests fed, and guess what? You won't obey the Lord. You'll step outside of the vine. You'll forfeit eternal life. Whoever loses his life, say loses his life. What, what does it mean? Whoever loses his comfort and his security here for my sake shall find life everlasting. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeited his life, his blessed life in the kingdom of God? Listen to this question. Or what would a man give in exchange for his blessed life in the kingdom of God? What will a man give for his soul? Another translation asks. Basically, what Jesus was asking the people is, what's your price? Do you have a price? For a lot of people, they do have a price. They'll follow the Lord, and they'll serve him. I'll give you a hypothetical situation. We had a member of this church. They were, they, were, they were coming, they were being blessed, the Lord was blessing their business, blessing all this stuff, and they were like, look, we have the $700,000 property that we want to sell, and no, you know, no one wants to buy it, it's way off somewhere, can you please believe? She would call me on the phone night and day, I would answer it, we would pray, declare the word, one day she calls and says, oh my gosh, a miracle happened, I can't wait, the, the property sold, the $700,000 property sold. But, and listen, you do what you want, but I'm being honest, you know what comes with the Lord giving you $700,000? A minimal of giving the Lord $70,000 back in a tithe, according to the word of God. And I'm being honest with you. You know what that ended up driving this couple away from doing? They totally left the church. They left. They're like, well, we don't want that accountability. We're going to go find people that don't know about that situation so we can keep that. Because, you know, here's the ultimate thing. That was their price. I'm willing to follow Jesus until it costs me this amount. Until it costs me, I'm willing to follow him until it costs me this, then I'm not willing to follow him anymore. What, he said, what good is it to gain the whole world but forfeit your own soul? Amen. You you know, we've really got to become radical about being faithful with the Lord. I'll tell you, I had a little extra money come into me this week where I was going to give $60 and so I had this set aside, and last night, I, uh, 
I accidentally went and I paid for dinner and I had two sets of money in my wallet. And I had like, this set was something else and then the other part was my tithe. I grabbed the wrong set and I paid for it. The, the meal with my, with my tithe money that I was going to give. And today, as preparing to give it and just asking the Lord and, and looking at it, I realized what I had done. And so before church, I was already running late. I ran over to the bank, got out, went to the ATM, and I'm like, Lord, I'm not jipping you $20. It's $20. I was, it was a $20 difference. I was like, Lord, I'm not jipping you $20. That belongs to, that portion belongs to you. There's no price that's too high. What will, you know, what are you willing to pay? What are you willing to do? We pray prayers like that, Lord, I'll go wherever you want me to go. Really? Really? What if the Lord came to a believer and said, man, you have so much. Why don't you just downsize and just give all the money to the poor? I want you to downsize half of what you have right now, and you're going to get $100,000, and I want you to give it to the poor. I want you to just go find people that need it and begin to give it. A lot of believers, they're like, there's no way I would do something like that. There's a price. And I'm not telling you, like, thus saith the Lord, that's what the Lord's telling you to do, but what I am saying is, is there a price when we would not be willing to obey anymore? And so finally... You have this person, they receive the word, but the message was crowded out by the love of money, the lure of wealth, so no fruit is produced. Then, lastly, you have the seed that fell on good soil, which represents one who truly hears and understands the word of God and produces a harvest that's 30, 60, and 100 times. This is a person that prepared their field. You can write that down. How come this person, how come the seed, the, the soil was fertile? Well, because they went and got all the rocks out. They went and got all the thorns out. What were the rocks? The rocks was the not being willing to be persecuted. The rocks and the thorns, basically, it's what we just read about. It's your own interests. It's your own desires. The person went and got all of that out. Lord, I'm willing to be rejected. I'm willing to be persecuted. I'm willing to stand. I'm willing to look a fool. I'm not going to pursue after money. I'm not just going to pursue after wealth. I'm going to seek first the kingdom. They prepared their field. They got those things out, and it says the seed was sown, and it produced 30, 60, and 100 times. So, Kind of my point in teaching you that is that the the Bible actually tells us that many people won't be faithful to the end due to hardship, tribulation, persecution. Many people won't be faithful in the end, to the end, due to the love of money, the lure of wealth. So here's the warning from the Lord. Don't be one of those people. Amen. Hallelujah. Uh, I'm going to wrap it up here with this. Write this point down. Many people will not be saved. Again, I know this is one of these hard things. This is a difficult thing. But this is a, when I go back and look at the scripture, 
When I do hear things like, oh, there's going to be a nine million, you know, a, a four and a half billion soul harvest, and it, that's great. I hear all those words, but when I look at the scripture, what does the scripture say? And what I believe, you can totally disagree with me. What I believe the scripture clearly says is that many will not be saved. Why? Why won't they be saved? Because they're not faithful to the end. Because they were led away when they were persecuted or tested in that hour, they compromised. And so the seed was choked out or they were led away by the love of money, the desire of wealth. Many people will not be saved. And for me, as we were talking about earlier, look what Philippians 2.12 says. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence. Look what he says. Work out your own salvation with fear and with trembling. I don't know if I can paint this clear enough, but salvation is not some light, easy thing. And, and listen to me, it's like a paradox because Jesus did say, take upon me, take upon you my yoke, which is light, which is easy. I'm not saying he's not light and easy, but what I'm saying this is this, Eternal life is not something to be playing games with. You don't play games with God. You don't play games with his word. You don't play games with eternity. Because I believe many people, according to the scripture, will not be saved. So therefore, that's why Paul said, work out your salvation before the Lord with fear and with trembling. What does it mean to fear and tremble? Lord, I'm, I'm conscious that I must remain in the vine at all times. So let's look at some of these scriptures. Look at Matthew 7, 13 through 14. You can only enter God's kingdom through a narrow gate. The highway to hell is broad. Say it's broad. And the gate is wide. For many who choose that way, say many. So many are going to go down the highway to hell. The gate, it's broad, it's wide. But it says the gateway to life is very narrow. Not just narrow, it's very narrow. And the road is difficult. Say difficult. Why is it difficult? Because it's going to cost you something. And only a few, say a few, only a few will ever find it. Why will a few only, well, how come only a few will find it? Because only a few people are going to be willing to die to their own interests, their own ambitions, their own self, their own desires. Only a few people are truly, there's going to be many people that claim the name that said, I said the prayer, I came to church, but there's going to be very few people that actually lay their life down before Jesus Christ and say, Lord, I'll die to everything. That it's no longer I who live, it's Christ that lives in me and through me. So it's very narrow, it's difficult, only a few find it. Look at this verse in Matthew 7, 21 through 23. Not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. What do you do with that? How do you get saved? All you got to do is pray the prayer and then there you go, you're good. That's how salvation begins but as we read, you can't just receive Christ, you must continue to follow him. 
And because the reality is there will be many people that that cry out to him, Lord, Lord, but they never continue to follow him. He says, not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those, only those, say only those, no exceptions, only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven will enter. How many Christians do you know? How many people do you know that claim Jesus as their Lord? Say, raise your hand if you say, I know more than 100, I would say, that claim Jesus as their Lord. Yeah, most. Most in Texas. How many of those people do you know, without a shadow of a doubt, are people that have truly died to selfish ambition and have laid their life down completely to be a servant of the Lord? 100%. All those people that you just thought in your head that, yes, they prayed the prayer, they call themselves Christians, are they radical Are they dead men walking? Are they dead men walking? Are they dead women walking? He says, on judgment day, many will say, Lord, we prophesied in your name. We cast out demons in your name. We performed many miracles in your name. And he said, I'll I'll reply, I never knew you. Get away from me, you who break God's laws. I want you to say few. In Matthew chapter 25, the ten virgins, half stayed, half went. Get this, in Revelation, in the book of Revelation, in the tribulation, do you know the Bible says that there will only be 144,000 Jews that are saved during the tribulation? Do you know that? In the tribulation period, there will only be 144,000 Jews, 12,000 each from 12 tribes of Israel saved during that time. Did you know that right now, I Google this, right now today, there are 14.8 million Jews in the world today? Today. And it's not decreasing, it's increasing. So if only 144,000 are saved in the tribulation period out of the 14.8 million, did you know that that's actually less than 1%? Less than 1% of the Jewish people will be saved during the tribulation period. Does that paint this picture like this salvation's just easy and it's just, you know, it, you just lightheartedly, it costs you nothing, that you can spit in Jesus' face every single day with your actions and with your heart, but somehow because you prayed that prayer, you're going to enter into the kingdom of heaven? No, the Bible does not paint that picture at all. It's hard, it's narrow, very narrow, and only a few will ever find it. So I have a question for you. Are you being faithful to the Lord? Are you being faithful to your call? And are you being faithful with what God has given you? This is my last point this evening. Amen. You sat through an hour of Bible teaching. Praise the Lord. Maybe some of you, though, watching online, you say, man, if I've tuned through this whole thing, I heard more verses mentioned than an entire year going somewhere else. Because I'm not up here trying to give you my thoughts and my ideas. I'm giving you the word. This is what it says. Are you being faithful to the Lord? That's what we're really addressing tonight. Are you being faithful to the Lord as a Christian? Are you being faithful to the Lord? Ask that question in light of this. Write this down for the last point tonight. We can have no gods beside him. We can have no gods. I want you to say beside him. It's an interesting word 
when you look at this, this is actually one of the commandments in Exodus 23. The Lord said, you shall have no other gods before me. That word before in English, it's kind of butchered because that actually paints the picture of, okay, here's God, and he's saying you can't put anything ahead of him. That's not what that word means. If you look at the word before in the Hebrew, it means this. It means on the same ground as or beside. So he didn't say you can have no gods before me. He's saying you can't have anything even beside me. You can't have anything on the same ground as me. What does that mean? You can't have anything in your life that you're not only more devoted to, you can't have anything in your life that you're equally devoted to as me. Where do you, what Jesus said where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. Where do you put your time where do you put your money? Where do you put your attention? What are you do what are you seeking with your life? And then ask yourself the question, do I have a God before him? Do I have a God that's equal with him? Or is he head and shoulders above every aspect of my life? The average person, no. Let's be honest, no. No. You know, men and women of God, they used to spend time in prayer. They used to spend time fasting. They used to spend time in the word. I don't think that God changed his mind and says, well, now you live in 2022 and now Netflix is around and so now I understand. No. <laughs> there can be nothing on equal ground as him. So look at Philippians 3. Look at this. Because you may say, well, I don't have another God. I don't worship Buddha, you know, I don't have a little Buddha statue, anything like that. Look at what the Bible says in Philippians 3, 18 through 20. Amplified, classic, it says, For there are many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, who walk or who live as enemies of the cross of Christ, the anointed one. They are doomed by their fate. Their eternity is misery. Listen to this, their God is their appetites, I'm sorry, their God is their stomach, meaning their appetites and their sensuality. Say their appetites, their sen sensuality. That word sensuality, it means this, it means enjoyment. These people, their fate is misery, why? Because their God is their appetite, their God is their enjoyment. That word sens sensuality means their expression, it means their pursuit of physical, especially sexual pleasure. Their God is their enjoyment, their God is their pleasure. Sensuality is the condition of being pleased or fulfilled by their senses. Their God is not the God of the Bible. Their God is their pleasure. Their God is their appetite, their desire, their flesh. Their God is whatever they can see. That that's how they live. They see it. They want it. That's what they pursue. That's who their God is. That's who a lot of many Christians' gods are. Their enjoyment is their God. Their career is their God. Their money is their God. You know, I'm going to end this because it's really true. One thing that I've been asking the Lord about, 
And this ain't just with this church. This is with the church. I guarantee you, if I had other pastors listen to this, they would say, I agree 100%. But did you know Did you know how hard it is to be a pastor sometimes? It is extremely hard to be a pastor of a church sometimes. Extremely hard. And I'll tell you one of the most frustrating things. It's not being persecuted. It ain't standing for the word and the community not liking you and whatever. You know, who cares? That's fine. That's, that's promised. I, if somebody asked me, John, what is the hardest thing about being a pastor? You know what I would say? Praying. Fasting. Seeking God, getting into the word, preparing, hearing from heaven, showing up with an expectation, and 50% of the people not even being there who claim to be members. That's the hardest thing about being a pastor. It truly is. When you've prayed, you've fasted, you've prepared, you've, you've done your due diligence, and then 50% of the congregation doesn't come, and you say, you know, uh, why? And they, well, I had this come up. Well, I had that come up. Well, I just didn't feel like it. Well, I was tired. Well, I had a headache. Well, this. Well, that. And, and I'm telling you, as a pastor, you actually begin to feel the resistance of the Holy Ghost amongst the people. Where God's given you this thing to do, but you stand up to do it and you can't do it because there's not a resistance within you. There's a resistance of the Lord. The Bible talks about don't stifle the Holy Spirit. That word stifle means to hold in low regard and to hold in low honor. If you have a people that hold the Holy Spirit, the things of God, the word of God in low regard, it actually means to stifle means to extinguish, like putting a fire extinguisher on a flame. And then you get up, you've prepared, you've prayed, you've fasted, you've sought the Lord, you've came with this, okay, the Lord's going to do this. And then the Lord leads you to withhold something that he wanted to do because the majority of the people that he was preparing it for aren't even present. It's the hardest thing about being a pastor. So I'm asking you genuinely, not just you, people of America, the, the American church, is God number one? Do you have any gods beside him or before him? I'll give you an example of this as well, of why church is so important. The Bible says in Ephesians 4, 11 through 13, these are the gifts that Christ gave the church. The apostle is the gift that God gave the church. The prophet is the gift. The evangelist is the gift. The pastor, the gift. The teachers are the gift that God gave, Christ gave the church. Their responsibility, God gave the church these gifts why? To equip God's people to do his work and to build up the church, the body of Christ. To equip, to build up. So God gives pastors, teachers, evangelists, prophets, apostles. God gave the gift of the pastor. I'm a pastor. To equip you, to build you up, to edify you, to train you in your calling, to get you prepared for the work of the ministry, another translation says. What did... What did Peter get told by Jesus? Jesus uh, Peter, do you love me? Feed my sheep. To feed the people of God. So did you know that God's plan for your life in regards to feeding you, equipping you, building you up, is carried out through the fivefold ministry? Amen. 
So let me ask you this question. When the person that's been appointed to that has prayed, fasted, sought the Lord prepared, and now it's the time of the week for the feeding, for the equipping, for the impartation, and then you say yourself, well, I don't have time for that. And you don't show up. Where do you actually say? I don't need it. I don't have time for it. I don't want it. I don't value it. And what's the reality? Christians in the church, their God is not the God of the Bible. Their God is their own appetites. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Hopefully, out of some of that, the Lord spoke to you about something tonight. Praise God. Lord, bless them for being hearers of the word in Jesus' name. If you would like to sow a seed or partner with this work that the Lord is doing, check out the description of this podcast or go to www.rhctx.com forward slash give. You can find all the ways to give on that page. Thank you so much for tuning into this podcast. Until next time, this is John Wallace.